the UFO round table. The UFO thinker in pursuit of the paranormal podcasts. So, welcome back to the monthly roundtable discussion. I hope everyone is well out there and whatnot. So, we are back once again with Dave. How you doing, mate? Oh, I'm in good form, Frank. Ready for? I mean, I tell you what, there's so much going on, Frank. We should have a weekly roundtable, not a monthly one. God, my head's spinning, man. I know. I was actually thinking earlier on you could probably do a daily show at this point, and you'd have plenty to talk about. You yeah, know. You would. Um, yeah. But also also joining us is Ash back again, um, and it's been a little while since we've done a roundtable. You kind of did loads of them when I was on hiatus, and then I don't think you were on the last one, uh, but now we are reunited. So how are you doing, Ash? <laughs> yeah, I'm uh, glad to be back. It's good to, uh, good to see you guys, and I mean, there's a lot to catch up on. I'm so behind with everything going on, so looking forward to seeing what's been happening. Good, good. I will get stuck in, and to be honest with you, it's like like we've been saying there. It, there's that much going on at the minute that you know it's difficult to keep on top of it all. Really, I mean, mm-hmm. even just today there was about four articles, like pretty major articles that came out, and I've not even had the chance to really to to dig into any of them. It's uh, like you know I mean? I've read them all, mate. I don't know what's up. To <laughs> yeah, but it's it's good. It's 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 definitely what we want to see. But yeah, it's difficult to to keep tabs on it all and 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 filter the wheat from the chaff and all the rest of it. Um, but you know, it's it's better to have uh, an abundance of wheat and chaff uh, than to have no wheat or chaff at all, I suppose. So. Um, let's get stuck in anyway so a big a big thing that's happened uh, over the last um couple of weeks is david grush on the joe rogan podcast now i've not actually had a chance to talk about this yet on the show at all um but you know there was a lot discussed on the actual show itself like as as most people know joe rogan's podcasts are, are long form so this was like two and a half hours or so um and I'm I'm not going to bother getting into a background on Grush here now. Um, I think anybody who's not aware of him already, which I think most people will be, um, I did some episodes on on the UFO Thinker podcast uh, where I went into some pretty uh, in-depth detail about his background and the claims that he's making and whatnot, and, and, and very importantly, why what he's saying is so compelling given the positions that he's held in his career. Um, and I, I think personally, it's, there's a lot of that at the moment of people coming forward with information and, and you know, sources or whatever it might be, um, whether or not they're anonymous or whether or not they're actually coming out and, and, and sort of stating the position publicly and putting the name behind it. A lot of the claims that are being actually mentioned are things that have been discussed quite a lot. You know, and if if you have a look on social media and things like that, people are saying, "Well, we sort of already knew that. We've known it for like thirty years, or whatever." But I think the the key thing, and the point I've tried to make about Grush specifically, um, is that is that you know the people that are coming forward now have got verifiable backgrounds, and and that is kind of what makes the uh, the the difference. Obviously, that's a lot easier to discern if they actually come forward publicly and and you know. Uh, put the name behind it like Grush has done. So, you know, and a bit more difficult to, to to discern whether or not it's on shaky ground if, if you don't have that. But the thing about Grush is that we do, you know, and personally, um, I felt like Grush gave 
a really excellent account of himself. You know, he really came across well on the Joe Rogan show. That is um, a, pr- a pretty sort of like unbelievable composure, really, given that he was recording a podcast that he would have known was going out to tens of millions, you know. And and it's quite uh, an impressive recall of, of names and dates that he's got as well. And he'd obviously done some prep to get his facts in order, um, you know, which is understandable. And I think most people would if they were walking onto the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, and I thought he represented himself on the topic very well. And, you know, it's very important that given the reach of that particular show. And I don't know how many views it's got right now, but... I saw somewhere the other day that some of the big UFO podcasts on, you know, the podcast episodes on the Joe Rogan show about UFOs have had like 50, 50 odd million like views. I think that was the the one with Bob Lazar and there was a, another couple as well that, have, that are in that kind of numbers. When you think about the reach of that, it's quite amazing, really. I mean, obviously, the, the biggest UFO related specialist podcasts don't even come anywhere close to that kind of reach so if, if we're talking about somebody of that importance being on the biggest possible platform which pretty much eclipses the reach of even like major news publications and websites and things like that you know it, it's a pretty I, I said the word historic to you dave didn't i when we were chatting the other day and i think yeah. that it is it's pretty undeniable whatever you think of him you know and and his claims and so on it's pretty undeniable that it's a, a big moment for the UFO topic. And, you know, I think Joe Rogan deserves, you know, obviously he's, he's done well for himself, Joe Rogan. He doesn't need a pat on the back from me to feel good about himself. But I, I do think that he, he deserves his his kind of, um, you know, the, the the appreciation for what he's done for the UFO uh, topic. And, and this grush thing being on the show there was, was kind of the latest uh, in, in a long line, really. So I'd be interested to hear just some general thoughts uh, from you guys on grush, on Rogan. Uh, there's a couple of points that I've pulled out as well that we can perhaps have a talk about afterwards. But just first of all, some some general thoughts. What what you reckon, Dave? Any Anything you'd like to mention? Well, I mean, I think if we look at this part, it's sort of a grush on Rogan was sort of reasons to disclose if we're thinking about this whole thing playing out before our eyes, really. And you're right, Frank, it was massive due to the mainstream audience. And you're right, I've not heard you say historic many times when we've been talking, but I, I did agree with you there. I mean, the thing in a long-form interview, it allows you to cover a lot of ground, but they did. I mean, they went into a lot of areas. I mean, I'm thinking that, like you say, that many people who are listening to it, it's just amazing really for me i mean th- th- there wasn't loads that were new but there was a lot of extra detail i mean firstly he really laid into turner and rogers which we might go on later these people who were sort of denying you know who were looking to block the uap act and have sort of uh, got special interests he really went to went to town on them i was amazed how much he swore, swore actually on the program it was quite good really well it wasn't that good but he was listening to him it was almost as good as one of some of your shows Ash, i thought actually when i was listening to it but uh, anyway uh he sort of laid into them he talks about conversations that he'd had with Reid and the possible link to Biden, which is very significant because he was linking the president then to direct knowledge of what had gone on. He also hinted at talking to somebody at the very, very highest level. Well, I thought that could have been Obama. There's been a bit of speculation about that because he was in the White House briefing these guys. So that's quite interesting as well. He also said, I think, uh, what was he say? 
Gillibrand, Rubio and the others had had top-level briefings, they know. So he said a lot of very specific things. He talked about his harassment, which was really frightening, which we might come back to talk about that. The other thing, he sort of went into detail about Italy to the extent I thought there was something to that because there's been a bit of doubt about that and whether that's a bit of a hoax. And he hinted there was earlier retrievals than that. Well, we're going back into the 20s then or early 30s anyway. That was pretty crazy. He made, he really went on about the Lockheed connection in some detail and linked that to Lekatsky because Lekatsky hinted that there was some connection by RSAP started, the RSAP program, but was the the one that started it off again in the early 2000s, the secret program looking at the craft. And Lockheed must have been the start of that. And there is a rumour Lockheed wanted to try and push for more disclosures so they could get more people working on the programmes. Uh, he, he was obviously clearly crashed his career. But the other thing is, that was really interesting, he sort of confirmed, well, he did confirm, not sort of, but there was many types of different sort of beings. His first time he's really said that, he actually said there were different types of beings, which is quite interesting. And that hints at some, at least some level of ET origin for the craft. And he sort of was talking about that, but he also said there were other origins as well. And he also, again, talked about NHI contacts at a higher level. So if you think about a mainstream audience, having that laid out quite methodically, and I thought, I agree with you, Frank, I thought he was brilliant in the way he presented himself. He was brilliant at that congressional hearing as well, though you could see why he was a top dog in his field, you know, and a top performer, because he's grasped, his mental command of things, he's, he's fantastic. But yeah, I, th I thought it, for people to be listening to all that, God knows what they must have made of it, you know, and somebody so credible. And it again shows what a lot of the things we've been hearing over the past 30 years that we thought, well, do we dismiss this? I haven't been that far from the mark. Obviously, some things aren't, but a lot of the main core story, as it were, about these retrievals, craft, and all the rest of it, it seems to have been pretty on the money. So I thought it was, in terms of getting the subject out to the mainstream, it was massive, and it must have some sort of reverberation to mainstream media and to mainstream thinking. So I thought it was... It was historic, Frank. I agree with you. Yeah, yeah, good points, and and um, it's it's true about the the different types of beings that he was talking about as well. I keep meaning to go back and find this bit; it keeps popping up into my head, and then I, I've not got around to doing it yet because it's a long interview. But um, there was a bit I think where he was saying that he spoke to a, a physician who would examine one of the bodies. Mm. And he was saying, I can't remember the wording he used, but he said something along the lines of, "He didn't know what to make of it." which sort of, oh, he didn't know where to start or something like that. The physician had said that to him. And, and if that's the case, that would certainly suggest that, because he talked, Grush has talked before about different morphologies, you know, and, and that at least some of them would resemble humans from the way he's talked about things. But there's, he's also kind of in saying that that, that physician who'd looked at some of the bio, biologics, as, as they referred to, if, if there's some of them, you know, a physician wouldn't even know where to start that's kind wow. of saying something i mean like uh, it kind of stuck with me that as i say i need to find the specific bit and i'm probably going to clip it and put it on on social media and stuff but yeah what an interesting thought eh? if you're a physician and you looked at a biological entity and didn't even know where to start what does that what's that going to look like you know what i mean but um what do you think ash have you had a chance to check it out i know it's a bit of a long one but no, and to be honest, I didn't know kind of how big like that podcast was. I mean, I'd heard of it, and obviously, you know, he's done Sophie Bob Lazar and Tom DeLong and stuff like that in the past. But them sort of figures, 
I mean, that's just insane and kind of a bit of a big step up kind of under Ross Colfart, News Nation, kind of when it first broke out and so going from that kind of uh, niche to, to still, like I said, Joe Rogan, 50 million listens and stuff to some of the UFO stuff. That's just incredible. Like when we listened to the Congress or watched the Congress hearing, I mean, that was in like the hundreds of thousands. Even that was like, wow, that's a lot of people watching this. To go from that to kind of 50, 50 odd million, tens of millions is just, yeah, maybe maybe that will open up a lot more to to the mainstream, like Dave said. The, the, like I say, I've not listened to it. Uh, it's not like I need to, but reading what people said about it that I've listened to it, the general consensus seemed to be that it wasn't the best, that Joe Rogan seemed a bit disinterested in, in parts, kind of looked bored, sat there. And it's obviously not seen it, so I can't really comment on that. But that wait, what you said then about the physician uh, saying that about a body, I mean, if Grush can back something like that up, like he says he can with names and events and stuff, like that's all we need, isn't it? Like, if you can say, yeah, these doctors, and if that doctor then comes forward or whatever to say, yeah, I worked on his body, that's that's it done. That's, I mean, how can anybody ever come back, back from that? So I'm looking forward to hearing more about what was said. Because, like I say, the, when I was first reading about it, uh, like last week or whenever it was, when it, when it was came out, people didn't seem too infused about it. It seemed to be a bit, yeah, there's nothing new. It's just old hash. Joe Rogan looked bored. So that's probably why I've not listened to it yet, just because kind of listen to other people. Though we do know what people are like on social media, especially um, certain factions and certain people release stuff. There's kind of a war in factions against each other. So it's hard to know what is actually good or what isn't at the minute. Like I say, all these stories coming out daily, there's always, when you read the comments, it's just people arguing with each other rather than actually talking about the article. Talking about the person who's made the article or who's written the article or where the sources are rather than talking about the actual information coming out. It's just quite hard for people to kind of get an understanding of what's going on. Like I say, at at the top of the show, because we we concentrate on mainly on UFO stuff in the UK, and coming to the end of the year, all our sort of work concentrations on getting our database up to date, all this sort of stuff. So we're not been able to kind of follow what's been happening in the US. So the last couple of days I've been trying to catch up and it's just insane. There's that much information, disinformation. No one's actually saying this is kind of what's happening. And so it's been hard on that point to really get a grasp of, of what's. So but I'm interested to, to hear more about what was said on uh, Rogan by the sounds of it. Yeah, we'll, we'll go into a couple of the specific points uh, in a sec. Um, but, I mean, f- from my point of view, I don't think Joe, Joe Rogan seemed bored as such. He actually seemed quite engaged. There's been a few episodes in the past where when he had Bob Lazar and Jeremy Corbell, it was it was very early on in the days of, like, the sort of, like, quote-unquote friendship, you know, between Jeremy Corbell and Joe Rogan. And Joe Rogan was pretty, um, didn't mince his words with Jeremy Corbell on that one. And he was just like saying, what? What are you talking about, man? And, you know, that sort of stuff, like really pushed pushed back pretty hard. And, and so he, he, Joe Rogan does do that if he thinks something is is kind of like BS or whatever, or, you know, on shaky ground. And mm. it, he, he did a little bit of that with Grush, but the impression I got was that he was quite, well, two things. The first thing was that 
it was clear that they'd obviously spent quite a bit of time together before the show and they were both quite relaxed in each other's presence, which I believe Joe Rogan actually does regularly with his guests as well. They're usually because Joe Rogan has made an unbelievable amount of money these days. So he's got this crazy ranch in Texas where, you know, he's, he's got like his own comedy club now. And I think when he has guests on the podcast, particularly uh, big ones, um, I suppose maybe he just does it with all of them. I don't know. I'm certainly not a buddy of Joe's, but uh, he invites them out to his ranch and they spend the night and they go for a meal and all this kind of thing. So the impression I got wasn't so much that he was bored. He was just kind of listening and and taking it in. And he did push back uh, on certain things. And and like one thing that he did really good job of, I thought, was going into specifically why Grush can't talk about certain things any further. And he really kind of, you know, asked Grush to elaborate on that. And I thought Grush did a good job of explaining why he could talk about certain things and couldn't go any further on others and whatnot. Um, But yeah, as I say, there will always be differing opinions, as you say, on on social media, depending on what what parts of it you look at as well. Um, But another interesting point you made about the doctor coming forward would it do you think solve like the kind of questions that people have if a doctor actually came forward and said look i worked on a legacy program and i've got these credentials as a medical professional and i saw a body and i can verify that it's it wasn't human do you think that would be enough to actually change people's or would we have to literally have a picture of, of the body? And would that be enough? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It's like where where is the line sort of thing that we that we have to cross with the 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 certain parts of the UFO community and the wider public to in order to be able to sort of finally accept and reach that sort of like disclosure moment that we talk about, you know. Do you think a doctor coming forward would do that or I think it comes down again like everything to the proof because that guy on Reddit a few months ago. Uh, that claimed to have worked on on the bodies and he had all this talking about the DNA and everything that came with it. And he sounded like he knew his stuff and I think came out that it was kind of not quite as high level as he tried to put himself to be and it was a fake account and all this stuff. But if someone did come forward, I mean, it's just a proof. So if we had the proof, yeah, I think it would be. Because if you've got proof that he worked on an alien body, like your daily, the famous alien autopsy video, that was proved something similar to be real and we had that that evidence in front of us then and it's and they say that they or they had to be off planet or to come not from this planet i mean surely surely for me that must be the the what we need it's the, it, it, it's the providence though isn't it i like all these things it's not on if the bloke comes forward i mean grush He's different to all these other people because of the confirmation he's had from the Inspector General and all the rest of it. He's got pretty high level. He's gone under oath. He's pretty, he's about as credential as you get in terms of without actually show, showing anything. But so, so mm-hmm. I think it's just the provenance generally of all these things. Uh, can you prove the documents right? Can you prove the video? Does the Air Force confirm it? But ultimately, it'll take a c- official confirmation for most people to go over it. I mean, some people, It'll never be enough. I mean, mm. some people, by the logic they use on UFO Twitter, they wouldn't believe America existed unless they were actually standing on it. Do you know what I mean? It's that some people, it doesn't matter, but it's what the mainstream thing would be. And remember, there's another psychological barrier. The general public, I think, are probably getting to a lot of people know there's probably something to this now. But actually admitting there's something to it is quite serious for your worldview and all the rest of it. And I think people are resistant to that 
until they see a big level of proof. And I think there's a certain amount of people wanting to be convinced, but not really wanting to know or not, you know, so the proof has got to be quite big. So I think a doc, if a doctor come for us and he works on it, he could be dead credentialed and people, it wouldn't really make much difference to a lot of people. I think if you had a lot of official documents and they were confirmed, that's fine. But I think, as I say, it needs official confirmation. Most people have wear at them from a respectable source. And I, but I think for me, for grushing some of these other people, clearly yeah, there's something to it because because they would have denied it otherwise. But I think it'll take a, I think it'll take the providence, as I say. Sorry to repeat myself again. That's what I think it is, and we'll start grappling with this when we get nearer to the disclosure denouement, as it were, and these things do start getting official confirmation. Now, what will be enough? Is it a senior official? Is it a president? Who is it, you know? And, uh, yeah, it's a good point. It's a really interesting point, that. Yeah, you know, you know, you know what it made me think of, uh, Ash, when you, when you were saying about the doctor, is I think the, the doctor coming forward with a verifiable background in a similar way to Grush, because again, for me, Grush having that verifiable background and, you know, that, that sort of massively makes it more compelling. But if you had mm. a doctor coming forward, I think what the key bit would be, would be to have like data that can be presented to the public for them to be able to do their own independent analysis. Like obviously Joe Bloggs isn't going to be able to do that, but like other medical establishments around the world can perhaps access that data and then do their own analysis. And once you start seeing various ones going, oh yeah, it's clear that this isn't human or whatever, then perhaps you could get to that stage. Like um, something that um, that me and Dave talk about quite a bit is ancient civilizations. And there's been recently a, a, an academic study done on Gun and Padang, which is actually scientifically a peer-reviewed paper and everything like that, which has actually verified that it's way older than anybody thought. And that has actually led to various long-standing skeptics actually to come out and say, oh, yeah, all right, fair enough. You know, th mm -hmm. this is now proved. And there's um, Ben from Uncharted X is doing some, some work on, um, you know, completely transparently, doing some analysis on vases from Egypt and doing all these incredibly detailed studies on on these vases and the construction of them and the accuracy of the cuts and angles and things like that and doing it in a way where, um, I mean, it's really quite something that perhaps, you know, people who are in, in the UFO side of things can, can perhaps use as a model because he's doing this, you know, the, the best kind of like um, facilities that you can get for the anal analysis of these these objects and then providing all of the data, like open source, I'm not sure if that's the correct term, but you know what I mean, where mm -hmm. everything that they gather as part of their investigation mm -hmm. is, 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 is made available to the public so they can replicate those results themselves and anyone who's got the time and energy to do it can, can look into it. Perhaps that's, you know, a, a good sort of path that we might end up going down with UFO stuff at some stage. I mean, when I watched Joe Rogan, you know, I, I thought he was, uh, he didn't once question him like he's done with Carvel and like he's done with, what he did with, uh, what's his name, Tom DeLonge and a few others. There didn't seem to be much doubt, but he, he didn't look uninterested to me. He, just, he, he clearly believed Grush was credible. Uh, and I, the comments I read were pretty good. So I think it depends. I, I know what you mean though. There are, there's always people knocking everything, and it depends what where you jump on, at what point you jump on on Twitter to see how things are going. 
And there's this really tedious group who just want to knock everything down for what their own reasons. Very weird, actually. There's more of them sort of popping up. But yeah, I, I thought that it was pretty good. But I, it's, it's interesting how you perceive it as well, isn't it? I suppose. Maybe somebody else watches, not you, Ash, but say somebody who's really against it all or something like that tends to see it and just sees what they want to see. You know, maybe I thought it was more positive than it was, but I, I thought generally he treated him all right and there's not a question about whether he thought he was legitimate or not. But uh, maybe he just had a big night out and he was a bit hungover. It's hard to say. That was one of the rumours as well, actually. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. <laughs> Yeah, but it's, I mean, it's just going back to what we were saying about the, the size of the Joe Rogan podcast. Um, um, the actual episodes now are only available on Spotify because Joe Rogan did some kind of crazy deal a few years back where Spotify paid him a hundred million to only have his show on Spotify and no longer actually have the show on YouTube. But what he does, so, so I'm not sure actually how you go about finding the actual episode streaming numbers or whatever from Spotify, but on YouTube, I just had a quick check earlier and, and, on the Joe Rogan YouTube channel, they don't put the full episodes, but they put clips, which are like 10-minute clips. And some of those clips have got 1.5 million, 2 million, and that's just a 10-minute clip from the episode, which came out, what, 10 days wow. ago or something? So it's it's unbelievable the reach that, that, it, that it's gone to, you know. Um, but let's get on to a, a particular point, which is that, uh, Grush once again confirmed this thing about double-digit crash retrievals and the same corresponding number for, for bodies. Something, as you say, Dave, that he has talked about before, but I felt like he went a bit further down that path and, and that thing about the physician, uh, physician that I mentioned as well. Uh, and he also specifically referred to Lockheed Martin, which I think is new because I don't think he's, he's gone into that kind of detail oh. before. And, and he even himself said, it, said that he, he seemed surprised that he was even, those words were coming out of his mouth. There was a point where he sort of just like looked down at the ground. What am I, I can't believe I'm saying this. <laughs> you know what I mean? But apparently... Um, he was cleared to do so, and he's talked about having further DOPSA authorization, um, which is the you know the body that authorizes him to say um, things. He has to run everything through them to get it cleared before he can talk about it in a book or a podcast or whatever. Uh, and he's talked about doing more DOPSA authorizations since when he originally came out. So I was thinking perhaps that was one of the points that he's recently got cleared to say that he wasn't to begin with, um, and he seemed surprised as though it was a recent thing that he'd, that he'd been authorised to talk about it. So pretty fascinating. Obviously, you know, Lockheed Martin is something that's long been discussed um, in terms of being a defence contractor that might be the ones that are holding the goodies, as it were. Um, but were you surprised, Dave, that he said that? And, and I think everything seems to point up at Lockheed at this point, eh? What do you reckon? Well, I wasn't surprised because I've known it is, or I've known it's a good chance it's Lockheed. But what I was surprised, if you remember, Frank, me and you were talking about what Lukatsky was going out about a week before about, you know, who, who was the contractor and what was the big thing that fired up, uh, that led to RSAP. And this clearly, from what he said, Gross, I was able to sort of see it was pretty much likely that the craft he was talking about, this craft was at Raw Lockheed. And that was what they were, and they were trying to divest themselves of some stuff. And this was the SAP they tried to set up around the RSAP thing. Sorry, too many acronyms there. But essentially, you could see a clear trail back to what the work they were doing in the sort of noughties to try and set this stuff up. So that was really impactful to me. And, it, and I've never heard anybody so clearly say 
And we might or may not, depending on time, get onto it later with this Chris Sharp article. But this talk about that apparently when they recover the craft, they go straight into the private sector straight away, big product, you know, so there's no questions asked. So that's clearly been going on. And Lockheed themselves uh, are very heavily in implicated. Everybody thinks Admiral Wilson was speaking to Lockheed. And it's clearly not just Lockheed. There's loads of other ones. But, yeah, it didn't surprise me at all. But I was, I was surprised at his frankness, to be honest with you, Frank. <laughs> Too many Franks in that sentence. But there you go. Yeah, well, frankly, I mean, I'm inclined <laughs> to, I'm inclined to agree. Um, I, I know you've not had a chance to check it out, uh, Ash, but but you find that surprising that that there is such a clear kind of finger being pointed at Lockheed there. Like Dave said, like we do know that this stuff ends up in the hands of the private contractors that gets them out of the sort of government kind of what they have to do the FOIAs and all this stuff. They have gives them plausible deniability. As soon as they hand it off, we don't have that, and they're not lying when they when they say that. Uh, with Lockheed Martin, it's always been one of the big ones. With obviously Guntrop and the others, and it wouldn't don't think it would surprise any of us uh, that they do have this stuff. There's a lot of people like with that article that's come out today. It's always been said that we've got these craft retrievals that is in these places. That these contractors have them. Uh, it kind of adds more more sort of smoke to the fire and it adds a bit more kind of credence to it that instead of just sort of saying it and sort of us kind of believing that this is happening with Grosh, we've got that extra bit of it's all verified. He can, he can prove it. He can say he's prove it. Not sure where effing up to with the skiffs or anything like that. I'm not sure if there's been anything. I don't think there has uh, on that side of it, but I guess it could come out in that and then that we, we have to prove so it wouldn't, like, yeah, I mean, it makes sense. It wouldn't be a spice to, to me or anyone, really. You know, listening to you, Ash, talking, it reminds, what I'm thinking, a lot of the stuff that's coming out now, it's like all the more dots are being joined. You know, mm. when you play those games where you're doing like an adventure game and more of the map becomes apparent as you, as you play and do the different quests. This is what this is like now. You've got different points coming up of information but are all being more joined up much more quickly. And it feels to me like the sort of forces of disclosure are sort of pushing this stuff. And Lukatsky comes out, Grush comes out. We've got the Salt Foundation going and other things going on. And we can see these things that would have took years earlier to be connected. I mean, even then we might not have known. Now we can sort of see some clear connections. And so it feels like there's a little bit of, co I don't mean any government coordinator, I feel there's a bit of activist sort of coordination about this now. Just as you just, were talking, giving me that thought. Just seems to be a lot of new people popping up on, on social media and accounts, groups, apps, organizations. There seems to be a whole lot of new ones the past, the last 12, 24 months. Are just all these new kind of things being formed that kind of all doing the same thing, all not working together, but they are kind of doing the same, the same thing. It's weird. To, it is really weird to see. Yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one, one to keep an eye on as well, I suppose, isn't it? Because a lot of these these new kind of groups, organisations, and things like that. There's, I'm sure, there's there's plenty of them that are, have the best intentions and are, and and are actively pushing for transparency and whatnot. But we never know exactly what the motivations are, who's who's funding this stuff, and there could be attempts going on as well to to sort of like muddy the waters. But it's it's funny. There's also groups kind of that, that drop away and, and researchers and things that, that start to, to drop away and so I know I've been around in, in the UFO 
sort of like world for a little while now because <laughs> there's been folks that have that have cropped up and disappeared and you know and uh we're still here looking into all of this stuff but um i think you, you have to be prepared to be in it for the, the the long haul really don't you with this with this topic but another thing that grush was talking about um which is the reprisals against him uh, dave you sort of hinted at this before <clears throat> and he was saying that he was he was actually targeted at his his family home, um, which sounds, I mean, just really scary at the end of the day. He doesn't go into specifics because he said that there's an active investigation into it at the moment, but he, he does seem to suggest that there were some pretty horrific sounding intimidation tactics used against him. Um, and he, and he, he says it was multiple times as well, and it was coordinated with um, similar kind of things being done to other people. Uh, that Grush was was working with at the time, um, and he says he was basically left with the message that um, you know that they can get to him anytime they want to, um, and and I sort of read between the lines there that they've gained access to the inside of his property when he was been asleep or something like that, and perhaps left a message of some type, uh, which is definitely scary stuff. Um, I'm hoping you've never had the MOD leaving cryptic messages in the aftermath of a UFO identified event, Ash. (laughs) (laughs) Hopefully we've not had that kind of reprisal against you, but yeah, that kind of thing sounds pretty scary. Um, What do you reckon, Ash? I mean, we've had Russians turn up. That was a really, really interesting night. Um, Really? Yeah. uh, I won't talk about it here, but yeah, we've had, we've basically turned down um, RT, which is like the biggest Russian news group and then we had unnamed russians turn up at a couple of our events um following wow that it's just it's just all it's all of it well i tell you guys the whole story another time but uh, but yeah i mean you think you mentioned during the, the congress hearings about intimidation threats and it felt like you had to kind of come forward for his safety for his family's safety they'll be threatened i guess he's probably talked about it in a bit more detail by the sounds of it on uh, joe rogan and it's just i mean yeah that's why he's pushing for the sort of the no pushback kind of laws and whistleblower laws for protection. And it's, it's like horrible that it's needed. You think that like someone doing the job, someone's got the best interests of the public at heart and they are basically trying to be silenced. It's horrific, really. I mean, I think when you're in that vibe, I think, uh, I think the, from the experience of what's happened to people or what we hear, the, be- the best thing he can do is keep on going, though, Grush, because if he did go quiet or whatever, who knows what would happen to him. I mean, he didn't. I thought at first he might have actually gone into his house and sort of stood over his bed, you know, with guns and stuff to scare him and his wife, but he's a big lad, Grush, and he's had combat experience. That's probably not the best idea because I suspect he did an interview, the, or the guy interviewed him was talking, and he said that he had a gun on his hip when he was interviewing. So he must be armed now. He must be known as a, he must be prepared for something. So that's probably not the best tactic to go and do that sort of upfront stuff. But it sounded pretty up close and personal what they'd done. But as I say, I think that the message of that is once you're on that road, which is a very brave road he's gone down, you've got to keep going because if you drop below the public's radar, then you are very vulnerable. I think I bet they'd love to do something to him to shut him up because he really is. By far the best quality person with the credentials to come forward out of any of them, uh, and they can't lay a glove on him. So it, it, it'd be very important to, if they could, to shut him up. They'd love to do that, and it comes back to all the people you talked about, Ash, on on Twitter. There's loads of new stuff that I think's dodgy. You see on Twitter, 
There's a book come out recently by some bloke on UFOs, which is the clearest bit of disinformation I've ever seen in my life. Don't mention anything. It's just obviously put up by whatever government agency. So it, 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 it's really all happening. But the truth of it is you can only, what these people really fear is exposure. Uh, and I think Grush is probably no option now but to keep going. And there's a few of the other people. And it'll be interesting to see what happens if somebody just comes forward now. Yeah, I might talk about later what would happen if somebody leaked and, and what would the trial be and would Danny Sheehan be defending him, you know, and all the rest of it. It's really very interesting. But to get back to the point, the intimidation was pretty horrible. God knows what they did, and I bet it wasn't anything nice. I mean, anything, you know, but we could, you know, you might think it's bad. I bet it was worse than what you could imagine, you know, uh, without him actually physically laying hands on him, you know. Yeah, and, and, and one thing that's... Um that he went into quite a lot more depth about as well was his, his own personal kind of like sacrifice in terms of his career. And um, it's, it's a really uh, interesting watch. I sh- you should definitely check it out when you, when you oh, get time. Um, oh. But he, he really goes into that, like where his career was headed and how he's basically turned that down in order to do this. And obviously the opportunities that you get, there's, there's, as, as you know, um, Ash, if if you make any kind of income in this in this topic, people come after you and say that you're uh, you know a grifter and all the rest of it. But as as yeah. we know, there's there's not really you know it's not like some kind of land of opportunity where you can make millions. As you know, all you got to do is you know sort of like blow the whistle, and it, it's really not like that. What Grush has turned down, and what a lot of these people who are who, who've been willing to um, to come forward with information, um, you know, they, they actually really do themselves in in terms of what they had had going for them and and they make that sacrifice because they you know they believe that they're doing the right thing by coming forward and grush is really clear about that and the reasons that he did it and um some of the things that he's had a lot of criticism from various people as well you know with, with sort of dubious motivation for 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 trying to discredit him i would say um and, and he goes into a lot of the the PTSD that he suffered with and how he's, he's had, you know, he's had, which he had, he admits to openly, he's had problems with, uh, with, with alcohol and things like that as, as a way of self-medicating for the problems and that, that he's, that he struggled with. And he goes into the reasons of why he's had those problems as well. You know, things that he, that he saw in, in service and close friends of his. And yeah, for, just from mm. a personal kind of, uh, point of view i think you get a really good sense of where he's coming from just on a human level kind of thing which is was really interesting but just going back to another point that he makes it goes into how um harry reed told him that he was going to speak to biden about this topic um so obviously we all know uh, senator harry reed and he'd actually said to grush specifically that um he was going to have a phone call with biden Harry Reid himself was going to phone Biden and, and talk about this topic. And I would assume that that phone call took place, you know, which is, is pretty crazy to think that like the actual, what isn't, you know, the current president of the US uh, has been having phone calls with a very high level politician, you know, the Senate majority leader, uh, former Gang of Eight member, Harry Reid, you know, I'd have loved to be a fly on the wall for that one. Um so what do you reckon of that, Dave? How do you think that conversation went between Harry Reid and Biden? Well, I mean, I think we must assume Obama clearly knew something from his statement. So we've got to assume Biden went. 
But I think Biden's the old stage stager. He he would have had some some contact there, but he's this sort of classic politician. So I I, I mean I think Biden knew about it. He probably wanted to do a favour for his mate Reid, but I don't. I, I suspect he's tried his best to sort of avoid it. But the key thing, and he's done his best to avoid it until Balloon Gate. And then he realised he was looking weak as a president because he was a, got out with people coming in our airspace. And then he sort of connected himself through Jake Rogers, saying, "Oh, we've got a program." Uh, and and again, I think you can see the White House connection to this, uh, you know, the UAP Disclosure Act. So I think the important thing for me was there was a clear link to Biden knowing about this via Reid some time ago, and that to me was the important thing. Uh, and I think Biden has been trying to play it on the download, but it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, if this UAP Act passes, which looks doubtful now, or if there's any significant whistleblowing, or indeed this new article would come out, how the White House is going to react now. Because I think uh, it could potentially be an election issue, it could be a winning issue, there's a few things going on, and they'll have to make a calculation as to whether to sort of drop it and try and bury it, or to go with it, you know. Uh, I mean, I'm surprised Trump's not gone for this issue because if you think about it, the courts are after him. He's trying to make the, st the case as a massive state thing against him. This is perfect for Trump, isn't it, to sort of prove the deep state, they're all liars, but yet he's not going for it, which makes me wonder about, uh, you know, what his links are to the, you know, to Republicans and, and all the rest of it. Anyway, I won't go, go down that route, but it is an interesting thought. But yeah, getting back to Biden, I think, yeah, the interesting thing is it implicated Biden for me directly into the conversation and that he knows about it. Yeah, pretty fascinating to think, you know, Biden, what, what he actually is aware of and the conversations that have took place behind closed doors. What, what do you make of that, Ash? Do you reckon we're likely to see Biden getting more stuck in in this topic? Or do you think there's still uh, too much of a stigma that, you know, they'll shy away from it as a major sort of like election issue at the minute? Yeah, I, th I think for sure. I think there's a lot of other stuff going on at the minute where I think he has to be seen to probably trying to sort of deal with them, especially with going to be election coming up. I think is it next year or the year after? We're doing the midterms, whatever. It's, next year, it's, definitely. It's always elections in America. Since it's always presidential yeah. elections every it's year. Next November. Next November. Um, so I think, yeah, I don't think it's going to be a like sort of like a priority kind of thing you here concentrate on. They definitely have an interest. All the presidents seem to have had some kind of interest, like say, apart from Trump. Well, the past presidents, conspiracy theorists say Robert Kennedy was killed. Uh, not Robert Kennedy, JFK was killed because he knew. Certain stuff I'm just going to yeah. tell. That's quite a big conspiracy theory. Um, so they all do know stuff. I think whether they publicly talk about it, like I say, because of stigma, and it could just isolate them, especially in a tough, in a tight kind of contest. And it could be like say the deciding factor that they maybe both stay away from, just to basically not take that gamble on on that type of thing. Because it's like it's big for us, a lot of views, but there's a lot of people. When you look at any comment section, when there's an article in any newspaper. The sort of general public comments are all still sort of taking the mic comments and stuff like that in America and over here. You think whether if if that is still the kind of more general perception, still then yeah, would they take that gamble to to come across as the the UFO president? Yeah, I I, I do tend to agree that we're a while off seeing this as a 
uh, as an actual sort of like key point in an election or even something that gets brought up by uh, a presidential candidate. At this moment, I think we're still a little bit of a way off. I mean, like I was saying, let's say there's 50 million people listen to Joe Rogan get a, a you know a full kind of dose of, of grush. You know what I mean? That's 50 million people. Out of that 50 million, only a percentage of those are actually going to absorb the information and take it on board. So let's say, you know, for sake of argument, half of them people, 25 million, and there's how many in the US? 380 million or something like that. So it's like really how how much you know the kind of like the window has got to shift in terms of public opinion and that stigma has got to kind of gradually be worn down. I don't think we're mm. quite there yet, but you know what what is it you you call it, Dave? The Overton window is it? Yeah, it's definitely Overton window. That which is the commonly accepted political sort of uh, differences or, or the window for which opinion varies. What's the right? What's the left? What's the window of common opinion? Uh, I mean, yeah, I, yeah, that's exactly. It. I, I, I think that it might. Context can change quite a lot. Balloongate to refer to that again. You look how quickly that changed. It all got very serious then. Depending on what's revealed, if it can make that crossover between the fringe, between a mainstream defence issue and some definite proof, it could very quickly become an issue. And if it does become an issue, like Balloongate did then they're all going to have to take a position on it. So I agree with you. It might not, you know, it doesn't look likely, but I do think it can change pretty quickly depending on the political context. Uh, it also is potentially a rabbit out of the hat for a politician as well, you know, and that's not to be under, underestimated. But I think you're right. I think we're a bit off that yet. But it's a, as the, what is it, Matt Millen said, events day by events. You know, what was the thing that thwarted him? Was it the economy? Was it the foreign policy said events? And what he meant was things happening that you're not prepared for. And I think this if things happen on this UAP field that they're not prepared for. And God knows there have been a few happening recently. And it could change pretty quickly, I reckon. Yeah, definitely. So I think I think enough said about the grush on Rogan uh, for the time being. But I honestly would say to people, if you've you know a lot of people have heard me talk about it, they've heard us talk about it on the on the roundtable. You might have seen uh, the News Nation program where he sat down with Ross Coulthard, the various other bits and pieces. But if you've perhaps not heard that much about Grush or you've not seen some of them or you've seen bits and bats, that Joe Rogan interview really is, you know, the the, the best kind of summary and Grush being able to give his own point of view. And I say it's two and a half hours long, but actually the first hour and a half is kind of the key bit. And after that, they sort of start talking about other stuff um, and like cars and like there's one point they're talking about like a, a chimpanzee fishing and you know it goes a bit off onto a tangent, but the first, at least the first hour, first hour and a half perhaps as well, it's there's no editing, so it's not as though you're getting snippets. It's literally just you know Grush sat down, just talking, giving his version of what's happened in a lot of detail. So it's really um, well worth you know people checking out. So. Um, yeah, so let's crack on with a, f a couple of other bits and pieces then. Um, so Schumer shenanigans, um, <laughs> I, th I like that. I, I wrote that on my notes uh, earlier on. I thought I'd keep that in. So I'll, I'll, I've got a bit of a preamble to do, and I can see Dave's relocating his recording situation as I, as I say this, so uh, it's perfect timing. <laughs> so earlier in 2023, uh, the current Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer, alongside uh, Senator Mike Rounds, 
brought forward this proposal, which was 64 pages in length, uh, to basically sort of bring about the disclosure of official information on UAP uh, to the the public. It was called the Unidentified Anomalous Phenomena Disclosure Act of 2023. And the act was introduced as part of the National Defence Authorisation Act, NDAA, which is... uh, Every year they pass this piece of legislation that authorizes all the funding for the U.S. armed forces and outlines the budget and what the Department of Defense are going to be doing in terms of operations and so on. And um, one of the key things in this legislation was about eminent domain. It's a term that most people had never heard of and everyone's been talking about, um, which is the U.S. government basically can essentially confiscate and take into their possession any UAP technologies that are revealed to exist. Uh, And another key thing was the creation of a presidential records review board, uh, similar to basically the one that was um, put forward in 1992, I believe it was, um, related to JFK records. And uh, in July, the Senate version of this particular uh, bill, which included the UAP wording that I mentioned above, uh, was actually approved in a 86 to 11 vote. Uh, following following that was a House vote that approved another version uh, by a bit of a slimmer majority, but it still uh, got through. And uh, after each version of this bill went through, the two chambers had like a formal conference process to negotiate between the two versions of, of the bill uh, as, as what usually happens. However, uh, late last week, it came, up, it came out that representatives Mike Turner and Mike Rogers were basically amongst those trying their best to eliminate or significantly change the wording in the UAP Disclosure Act uh, during the negotiations in the NDAA conference and um these new developments which were actually first reported by our old pal chris sharp of liberation times last week and later picked up by various other news websites such as the debrief and whatnot um these these uh reports that were coming out indicated that turner who's the chair of the house permanent select committee on intelligence and rogers who's the chair of the house armed services committee had, had basically got some support from Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell and Speaker of the House Mike Johnson. And essentially, all of this action that was taking place cast a bit of doubt as to whether this UAP Disclosure Act would actually make its way into the final version of the NDAA, which eventually gets signed into law by President Biden. And it's quite a departure, actually. The last few years, there's been a lot of discussion around this these types of legislation, and they've basically sailed through with a few tweaks here and there. Um, so I think I, I was kind of thinking, and, and the way that people were discussing it this year, that it was probably going to do that this year and it was going to be a thing. You know, I think uh, we, we sort of, um, or, or at least I don't want to speak for everybody, but I, I sort of almost took it for granted that it was definitely going to happen. But there's definitely some challenges to that. Uh, however, it's probably fair to say that all is not lost. And the, there's been a bit, a bit of a an unprecedented effort by uh, pro disclosure politicians um, rising up in in outrage at, at what's been going on, and the the wider UFO community have had a bit of a push to engage in activism, contact representatives and stuff. Um, 
folks all over the US have been um, doing just that, contacting the representatives to demonstrate that there is public interest in this topic and to put pressure on to keep this legislation intact uh, as, as it represents a big step forward in terms of signing something into law which lays out a roadmap for increased transparency on this issue or at least you know demonstrates a, a commitment to, to doing that for me uh, the really seriously concerning thing here is that the two most outspoken individuals who are part of these recent attempts to take this legislation down are Mike Turner and Mike Rogers, as I mentioned earlier. Um, Mike and Mike, I think Grush described them uh, as on, on Rogan. And um, presumably a reference to Mike and Ike, is it? The sweets that they have in the States? Anyway, Mike and Mike. And um, the, the debrief actually published as part of their article about this. Um, they actually published a chart of House Armed Services Committee members with their corresponding amounts that they received from defence contractors in the 2022 election cycle. And it's really quite astonishing. You know, right at the top of the list, you've got Mike Rogers, who received over $300,000 that year alone. And Mike Turner is, lo and behold, in at number five on the list as well. And interestingly, the bottom two on that list that that received the least funding from these defense contractors are Mike Gallagher and Ruben Gallego two folks who have been very active in aggressively pursuing transparency on the issue. There seems to be a bit of a striking correlation here between those that are receiving the most funding from defence contractors, like, I don't know, maybe uh, Lockheed and things like that. And they're totally against transparency for some reason. Can't figure out what that might be. And on the other end of the scale, those who are receiving the least funding from defence contractors are very much the most outspoken in favour of transparency. So there seems to be a pattern emerging there. <laughs> what do you reckon, Dave? Yeah. You think, like in Halloween, you think the creature's finally dead and then they jump up and start attacking you again. This was a bit like that, I thought. We thought the sort of uh, not anti-disclosure movement had finally been put in the place, but actually they jumped up again and started to attack us like some sort of returning zombie. So, yeah. It's definitely the start of the fight back and, and it's classically Thanksgiving is the time to do it because they can do whatever they're going to do and they are, they're all off then for Thanksgiving. So this was a classic political ambush of that nature. Like you say, I mean, uh, there's obviously some heavy hitters there. It's all funding related and it's clearly from aerospace and defence funding. And Mike Johnson, the new speaker, who's rent an idiot really, like I don't think he'll last long, he, he got sort of all into it because he's sort of, you know, some sort of puny political figure who's been cast into greatness because he's the only one who they could think of to agree on. Uh, he's been there. And Mitch McConnell, who presumably, you know, when he'd stopped sort of uh, staring at space, sort of snapped back into action and said, we won't stop it. So it was amazing that they managed to do this uh, in this way. But it's quite interesting. I mean, like you said, there's no case for them. Why would they object to transparency? There's no real case for it. And it's quite naked uh, sort of influence, but it's pretty obvious to everybody. And they don't seem to care because clearly fun, fun, funding counts for a lot. So, uh, yeah, I mean, we thought it was sort of... I mean, the two things they feared, oh, yeah, the two things they targeted was the eminent domain, which is that thing where the government can sequester the sort of any sort of NHI technology that people have got. 
which isn't a big deal really because there's no reason why they can't do a deal where the government can look at it but people retain ownership i've never thought that was a big issue but what they really fear is the review panel and that's that this process in the uap legislation where they systematically and they can't get out of it easily they've got to give the information up decade on decade of information then they decide if it's classified and it's classified by a body that aren't that they don't control and that's what they fear because that's how this orderly disclosure is going to come about and they can't easily nobble it and that's so obviously that's the target i think in many ways eminent domain was a feint so and basically they tried to take that out the people who opposed them said well why do you want to do that uh What's the reason? Can you justify it? So they said, right, we'll pull it all then. And that's apparently what happened. And now we're seeing a bit of a fight back where they're trying to negotiate and what they'll do. But it is, I think, and I've said this before, but I think these efforts are massive overreach by these, uh, you know, by these unelected bodies, the military and the aerospace contractors, and particularly the military are going to shoot themselves in the foot. The DOD are already massively implicated in lying to people, covering stuff up breaching the rules, you know, breaching the sort of congressional oaths and all the rest of it. So I think that they just painted themselves into a corner and the consequence is going to be, and this is the other thing, if this act doesn't go through and we get the orderly disclosure that everybody wants, the Biden administration wants, and is the only really sensible option, then we're going to start seeing whistleblower leaks and we're going to start seeing death by a thousand leaks, I think the phrase is, and it's going to be, get very disorderly. But I think they're that entrenched into the position and they don't know what to do and they don't want to get out of it. They don't want to come clean. But all they can do is just keep playing this weird game of whack-a-mole and hope somehow the machine will stop. But I don't think it is going to stop. So, yeah, it, it is. It, it's a very odd situation. And uh, one question for me is, if it does go down, would the president pass an executive order to keep get it back in. I mean, he could do that, I think. I mean, it'd be interesting to see what people think, what listeners think. But I think he could do that. And the main business of that UAP Amendment Act will act in the first... It, but funnily enough, it's, the main business will be done by November, the initial sort of look at all the records, just ironically, after the presidential elections. So there you go. So that... that so... It, they could do a lot of work if the president does that, and I wonder if the White House may be thinking about doing that. Now, that comes back to whether the president wants to dip his toe in the water or wants to leave it, you know, but that's an interesting one. And then again, I think the the thing of people actually whistleblowers disclosing uh, or coming out an uncontrolled disclosure, people getting really mad at this naked sort of suppression for no good reason. The article by Marek today said, what is the reason about this? for this there's no good reason i think it's it's make, gonna make things pretty interesting in 2024 and certainly not the calm path that we we're all predicting yeah it's funny it, it does seem to be kind of getting edging closer and closer towards direct presidential involvement doesn't it you know like these various like review boards and things like that and you just the it does seem inevitable that at some stage the president's involvement is going to be quite key. But I suppose the question is, are we at the stage where the president would openly get involved in this issue? And I don't think we're quite there yet. But at the same time, the the obvious actions that are that are taking place, you know, to sort of like stop any any efforts towards trans transparency. The more that that goes on, 
the more it's going to encourage whistleblowers to do things not exactly the wrong way, but there's there's a there's a correct way of doing things and a process to be followed and that kind of thing. But obviously, the more things like this, which you know, it, it, there's no question, it looks it looks bloody dubious, doesn't it? At the end of the day, these these politicians who've got clearly are, are getting money, um, you know, openly as well, because these are facts and figures and stuff that are available. Like it's not like a conspiracy theory. Th- these are politicians who are getting money off defence contractors, the same defence contractors that are supposedly holding the materials, and they're they're actively fighting back against any efforts towards transparency with the public. It doesn't look good, does it? And the more you see things like that happening, you know, the more it's tempting for people who've got information on the inside to come forward. In some cases, it will be yeah, anonymously for, for various reasons. And in some cases, it will be people like Grush, you know, who are willing to take that personal sacrifice that it takes to be able to come forward and put your own name behind it. But it's, um, yeah, as you say, Dave, there's kind of a, there's a path towards like a controlled disclosure by following them them correct paths. And then there's also a bit of a worrying potential outcome as well of, of, of more of an un- uncontrolled disclosure sort of thing, a catastrophic disclosure to coin a phrase. Uh, but what, what are your thoughts on all of that, Ash? So I kind of have two kind of initial questions that kind of came to mind uh, when you were reading out about all this. And this probably comes, this is probably born from a lack of understanding of how the American kind of process works, the political system. And obviously on the face of it, these guys getting the money from the defence contractors, kind of clearly that's, they're the ones bringing it down. But my, I guess my thought on that is, is it just because it's UAP or do they always kind of vote against this type of, any kind of looking into defence stuff, any type of contract work, do they always try and vote it down or is it just a UAP kind of one that they're trying to vote down? So that's one sort of question I had. And another one is, Again, probably just not knowing how the system works. If if it was voted in by like eighty five to eleven, or whatever the numbers were in favour, how can two people have kind of so much influence over kind of bringing it down? If that makes sense, uh, Jack. If you want, I can. The, the yeah, first yeah. point just, is just so I can understand yeah. it. The first point is, but it's not so much they will vote on whatever the money takes them. So because they're getting that amount of money and they need it for the campaigns. Then, if the defence people who are funding them to that tune say we want you to oppose this, that's what they do. So it's not; it's the other way around. They'll sing whatever tune that you, the piper. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they will pipe whatever tune you know the person is paying for, basically. So that's that's that. Now that's an interesting question you raise on, on the second bit because most people, it seems, in Congress and the Senate are in favour of more transparency, but these two people actually have key positions. I think it's on the Intelligence Committee and the Armed Services Committee. And they can, they can stop the passage of the bill. Now, the Speaker certainly can because he's the one who's got the power. So just because of the way it works and the way, the, what happens is they tend to negotiate on these bills what's going to be passed or not. And those guys, because of their positions on the different committees, can effectively stop it passing or stop it going into the Act, which could stop the whole Act going. So it's not very democratic. It's just they've got key gatekeeper positions, but we'll right. stop it going through. So it's just the lucky... And clearly, the DOE, DOD, and all the other non-disclosure people know all this. They've been nobbling these acts since they've been coming out in this bit. This is the bit we all fear when it comes to the reconciliation, they call it, when the two bills come together and all that. This is when they put the fix in and nobble it, and they've done it 
on all the UAP acts. They pull various different things out, and now they're just nakedly doing it on this. This is the most naked thing, thing we've seen, though. But, yeah, that's essentially it, but it's a good question because they're not only thwarting the will of the people, you might argue, they're thwarting the will of the majority of both the Senate and the Congress, and they're really sort of abusing the power. And as I say, that speaker is just a puppet at the moment, absolute puppet. Let's just go back uh, on the the first question I was asking. Uh, it was more so these so you know the money's coming from the defense contractors and they're being told to vote for this on behalf basically on behalf of the defense contractors, effectively. That that's what's happening. But is it on? Is it just? Is it? Do they vote just against? Or is it? Do, do let's try and word it properly? Are the defense contractor people? just against it just because it's UAP or are they do they usually vote you usually kind of push back against this stuff but whether it's any kind of defense stuff not just the UAP no, no well the, normally they'll want to get the particular contract passed they'll want more spending they want things that benefit their business as will the military but in this case they're holding on to a load of material they don't want to release and equally the DOD people are holding on to a load of secrets they don't want exposed so there's a bit of an unholy alliance that they don't want it bringing you through. But normally, what they're in favour is influencing politicians who will sort of increase defence spending and not do anything that's going to upset their business. And they're very clever in the US. They put all these defence contracts in all the different states. So they've got a massive sort of blanket of power across America. So that, you know, so that they've got a lot of different senatorial people of both sort of parties who've got a vested interest in defence spending. So it's a very clever and skillful operation. Uh, so does that answer your question, Ash? I'm not sure if I'm answering it right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, I think so. Yeah, it's basically like you've you've got like um, a group of politicians who are in charge of a key phase of passing the, the, the actual legislation as to what like the American taxpayers' money is going to be spent on with regards to defence issues in general. Like, what budget is the military going to get and what is that exactly going to be spent on? And obviously the defence contractors, you know, have been cozying up to these politicians who are in charge of actually, you know, um, making the final adjustments and debate debating the key points of that legislation which is just dodgy in itself, really, if you think about it, isn't it? Like, and, and But normally, you know, like what you were saying in terms of, like, do they normally sort of, like, vote things down or is it just things that are to do with, with UAP? It's sort of – I mean, I'm, I'm no expert in in the past, like, however many years of, of, of out, outside of UAP things to do with the NDAA. But basically, these these particular key kind of gatekeepers who are – who are getting this funding from defence contractors are essentially operating with the interests of those defence contractors in mind. So in previous years, it's a case of, well, we want however many million to be able to pursue this research project into a new missile. And obviously, you know, the defence contractors are going to want to do that. And the people who are there funding within these committees are going to vote for that to go through without any problem at all. You know, they're going to grease the rails of various things to get them to go through because that's what the defence contractors want. They want their funding to be authorised for the projects they're working on. Um, it just so happens that in this particular case, um, it's something that is not favourable for the defence contractors if it gets put into place. You know, essentially they don't want, um, you know, 
any any prying eyes into what they're doing with these with these secret projects and that kind of thing. Um, so in this case, it does appear, you know, because we don't know for sure exactly what's gone on, but it certainly doesn't look good, does it? When the, like I say, I mean, there's literally in that in that debrief article, it's a really interesting graphic. It's it's a list of you know like a top. I think there's about twenty of them from from memory, and and right up there in the top two of the most. Um, you know, a funding given to them by defense contractors is the two key figures, and right down at the very bottom, the the lowest two is Gallagher and Galejo, who have have been the most pro transparency. And when you see it in a graphic like that, is it you know it seems to point in one direction. You know what I mean? There's there's no sort of outliers. Somebody who's really pro transparency and also happens to be receiving a, a vast amount of money from defence contractors. It it does seem to be um, the case that that that's that's what's going on there. Yeah, don't know if that makes it any any clearer. Mm, I guess where another final question is: How is that not bribery? It's just well, it is bribery, Ash. Mm. Uh, that's exactly what it is. The American political system has been sort of uh, gradually eroded by the rise of lobbying. They all need lobbying to run the campaigns. It's very expensive. Uh, and that's what you've seen. You've got the rise of lobbying. It's like ancient Rome where all the powerful people used to harass the senators, you know, and bribe them all the rest of it. And this is very similar. And there's a good argument that democracy is threatened by these sort of big industrial and uh, different political interests sort of paying money to these campaign funds and because there's no state support for any sort of campaign in the, the, the mercy of who's got the money which is not really what democracy is about and because america is such a mercantile country in terms of its economy this is seen as okay or more okay and it sort of represents sort of how you know economic factors are really at the punch but it definitely an issue like this illustrates that it's very well one would argue anti-democratic because the politicians have to they think, well, if I'm not in, I can't do good, so I'm going to have to make a few compromises on my morals here. But really, mm. ethically, it's not, and it is a big problem. It's a big problem generally in sort of Western democracies, but in America, it's a massive problem. That's why they'll never hundred thousand people could be shot on the streets, and because the gun lobby is so strong and funds so many people, the, the fact of trying to restrict firearms is it, it, never going to happen. And that's a classic example of a democratic deficit that lobby. It's not a political show, this, but that's my view on it anyway. Yeah, it sort of does tap into that like wider issue of, you know, corporations and, and very powerful uh, companies and, and groups, you know, funding governments to get their own interests, you know, sort of like, you know, pursued basically. I mean, it's, it's kind of an issue in the UK as well but i think it's much more so an issue in the states like we have it don't we where there's major contributors to uh, you know ma major donors to the conservative party or whatever yeah. and obviously yeah. they they give millions to the conservative campaign in, in in exchange kind of unofficially for favorable treatment for their company or whatever or you know like rupert murdoch has been has been sort of accused of that kind of thing but i think in the states like dave was saying it's probably even more so the case well the difference is, Frank, power's more centralised in the UK, but it's more fragmented in the US law. Individual politicians have got more power on laws, and so it's easier to get individual influence that counts. It's not as easy to influence an entire regime, government, because of the party system over here. But over there, it's sort of right. For it. I mean, the American economy is strong because of its sort of mercantile stance. And if, if it's done properly, it can really help having that kind of 
stuff that they have. But in this case, it's people have always taken the easy option and it sort of slipped for me into that sort of system that's got a lot of problems. So, yeah, sorry, yeah, so I'm, I'm bad, so I'm getting a little too political there. But anyway. Yeah, but there's, there's obviously some some uh, wider issues there that, that we've touched upon. But in this in this particular case, it has infringed upon the push for transparency that obviously we all want in the UFO topic, hasn't it? You know, and we're forced to confront this uh, that particular aspect a little bit more than perhaps what we would do normally. But yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll we'll see how it all, all plays out. But um, we we kind of um, before we wrap up, I think it'd be good to get a, a little bit in about something that's happened just today, um, which it always happens, man. There must be a, a, some kind of conspiracy against well, it. Whenever we record a pod, with something big happens like that that day. Well, they knew Ash was back. They must have said, you know, Ash is back today. We must launch something big. <laughs> yeah. And that's what's happened. The article comes out. But yeah, there's, there's there's actually been quite a few articles, like you were saying, Dave. There's that Marrick one, and there's been a few others that I've not had a chance to even get close to reading just yet. But sorry, Dave, did you want to say something else there? No, no, you carry on, mate. You carry on, Frank. Yeah. So, so basically, um, the thing there's been various sort of like buckle up type of comments and things over the last few days, and it's, you know something big's coming type of thing, which um, you know does tend to happen with these things, and. Um, uh, and obviously there's you know inevitably when you hype something up there's going to be some people who are disappointed in what eventually comes down the line as we've seen time and time again and we've talked about a lot on the pod i can, i always say i personally don't mind a bit of hype you know it's not bad is it at the end of the day getting excited about something even if it's not a complete world changer when it does arrive um but in this case, it's quite an important article, and it's uh, an article on the Daily Mail that's just come out just today, and this is with uh, Chris Sharp, Josh Boswell, uh, who have been kind of uh, co-authors on various UAP-related articles for the Daily Mail um, over the last, well, I guess it's a couple of years now. And, and in this case, it was also co-authored by Matt Ford of the Good Trouble Show. Shout out to Matt Ford, a bit of a friend of the show. Top broke, Matt. What brilliant work he's doing. Fantastic. He is indeed. And uh, always a very sharply dressed uh, gentleman as well, which uh, is uh, is always very much appreciated in my eyes. <laughs> more, more so appreciated than Kirkpatrick because of uh, all, of, all of the other aspects as well that come along with the, the smart dress sense. Uh, but anyway, the article was about, essentially, and th- this came out about, what, two hours or so before we started recording, so this is just a very surface-level take, which is why we've kind of left it to the end here, but it's definitely worth uh, worth discussing. And the article essentially is about the CIA's involvement in crash retrievals, and the CIA basically have um, uh, an office within the CIA that are in charge uh, of actually conducting these these retrievals. Um, have, have you had a chance to read it through, Dave? Have you got any uh, any any I, summary you can can give on I, that? I have, Frank. Yeah. Uh, uh, there's also Matt Ford's done a brilliant. He's becoming a real force. Yeah, he has been for a bit actually, but he's so professional stuff he's doing. But Matt Ford's done a bit of a show on it with Chris Sharp and Josh Boswell. It's well worth checking out on his YouTube channel. So I'd advise everyone because it goes through it in some detail, but. Essentially, there's a secret CIA retrieval team, the Office of uh, Global Access, it's called. It sounds like something from Harry Potter, the Ministry of Magic, doesn't it? But anyway, uh, that's what it's called. They basically have got a secret uh, tracking system that they use. The craft, apparently, that are flying around the cloaked. I'm giving a real, this is a big article, what I'm trying to do it in shortly, really. 
The craft that are flying around the cloak, well, they've got a tracking system that can track them. They're also able to bring them down, or if they come down, they crash or whatever, they land, throws the keys, or we, we can bring them down, apparently, with this tracking system. They've got a system retrieval system but through this office that can go anywhere using special forces mainly or anybody who's, who's available but clearly trained people to go and retrieve the craft. Apparently they've got nine of them. But since, I think, I don't know if it's since 2003, it wasn't too, too clear from the article, but certainly there's nine they know about. And these people are going around the world picking them up. This ties into what the Canadian MP was saying about the Five Eyes and intelligence cooperation, the military's proper to retrieve them, ties into a number of things we've heard. And it's absolutely massive, really. And it gives us this thing again of the CIA, the intelligence community, the DOE, because apparently what happens is once they pick them up, so it doesn't pass through the military. Too much paperwork, apparently, one source says. Go straight to private industry and straight to wherever they send them. So you've got, as I say, you've got the CIA, who we've always thought was a big player in this, even though they tried to say they're not, and it's somebody else. The DOE in the private industry, where it goes to and research on, and also the US Air Force in charge of the tracking alongside the intelligence community. So you can see all those links there. And it, it, I don't want to go into it too much, but the fact that the craft are cloaked, is something we've also suspected for a long time, and they can see them, and they've got some tech to bring them down. Is also quite worrying, but it just shows how sophisticated this operation got. And I think this is the first shot across the bows for this legislation being threatened. And we've had talk, we've had a lot of talk about they don't want to see, they want control disclosure, the consequences of catastrophic disclosure could be terrible. At the Soul Foundation, at the second day apparently it put the fear of god into everybody what would happen with an uncontrolled disclosure which is why the review panel in the legislation set up how it is to consider all the things and i think this is starting this is the first shot across the bows and as chris sharp said on a short the weekend prepare for fireworks there'll be other stuff than this coming out and so i think this is the start this is very significant some people have been having a go at it on twitter but they're I don't know what people want, really. This is a brilliant piece of journalism, you know. So I think it's fantastic. And, yeah, the article is very significant. And uh, I think it'll be the first of a few. Yeah, so just just to, while you were talking, I just pulled it up. I just wanted to read out, you know, like um, newspaper articles generally have like a couple of key bullet points at the top. Um, so they are the, the Office of Global Access, OGA, a wing of the CIA has played a central role in collecting alien spacecraft since 2003. I have to do a double take sometimes reading sentences like that in the Daily Mail, like a major publication. It's just insane, isn't it, to think about. Joe Rogan, Joe Rogan's just been on, uh, just had David Grush on as a guest, you know, and now I'm reading this in the Daily Mail. <laughs> Is this real life? But um, And then the next bullet point, at least nine non-human craft have been recovered by the US government, some wrecked from a crash and two completely intact. And the CIA has a system in place that can discern UFOs while they're still cloaked and special military units are sent to salvage the wreckage, uh, sources said. Now, on that point, the sources said bit, right? Obviously, everybody hates an anonymous source. We would all much rather it be a Dave Grush. Uh, who's willing to actually make that sac- personal sacrifice and all the rest of it to come out and put his name on the line. But I think it's it's worth bearing in mind 
um you know not everybody is in a position where they they can do that they're willing to do that and and there's a lot of complexities i think as well with anybody who's had involvement in this type of stuff um it, it's a pretty tough line to to tread kind of thing really and and you've got everything you do you've got to be very careful not to say too much or you can put yourself in some very um you know dubious kind of legal positions and whatnot but a lot, a lot of people criticize kind of anonymous sources in journalism and i never really paid much attention to this kind of thing before i guess about three or four years ago when i started you know reading more about ufos and stuff like that but ever since i I've been interested in this topic. You start to look at other articles just on general BBC news and things like that, and you look at them in a slightly different way. And I always note now when they're talking about news stories on Sky News or BBC News or whatever, of of what they're actually basing the, the information in the article on. And it's quite surprising how many times major articles on the BBC will base an entire article on one anonymous source. Like key ones are anything to do with the royals and politics is another one. And they'll just say and a, a source who, who we can't name, uh, you know, within the Labour Party has said that this is likely to happen over the next couple of weeks. And that's a major story on BBC News about, like, for example, Boris Johnson's going to fire somebody or something back in the day or, you know, Rishi Sunak's going to make an announcement about this. And they they do entire articles, you know, front page articles on the BBC News website based off, off a source. Uh, interestingly as well, um, so, so what I'm saying is there is a precedent for that within journalism. It's not as though UFOs is the only subject that uses anonymous sources. It's pretty widespread amongst, you know, journalist journalistic practice, if you will. And and the New York Times being quite a a well known, renowned, like reputable publication, they have a policy where certain kind of bombshell claims they they won't publish unless they can back it up with an additional source. And I think, generally speaking, if, if you're talking about something of you know particular importance, that's what they try to do, to have a, a, more than one source to verify a piece of information. And the New York Times-level organisations you know, go out of the way to make sure they've got more than one source. And the key thing about this article is that it's actually based on three separate sources who are all verifying the, the information. So, yeah, it's not ideal to have anonymous sources. We would all prefer to have Dave Grush coming out. But I think, you know, like we were saying earlier on, with these very sort of dubious attempts to shut down transparency legislation and stuff, there is inevitably going to be some people who don't want to come out and put their own name behind it, but want to get the message out as to what their experiences of what's going on. And I think that's what we're seeing with this. Um, obviously, time will tell in terms of whether or not more information comes out. We may may well see people who, who are willing to put their own names on, on the line as well. But I think with that kind of context, I think it's it's pretty a pretty interesting step uh, towards further sort of like verifying the way that crash retrievals work you know it's something that backs up uh, a lot of what grush has been saying and kind of gives a bit more detail about how the actual mechanics of all of that work um so I've, i found it very interesting as i say i've only read it over the last couple of hours but that's kind of my uh initial sort of thoughts on it um how about yourself ash because i know we didn't speak about this before recording because it literally just came out so i don't know if you've got anything you'd like to uh, to add on that 
Uh, yeah, well, I, I pretty much skim read it um, as we were waiting to record this because we had a bit of delay. So literally went on springing. I saw it had been published. So we had a quick of a quick skim read. I like to spend too much time on this particular website just so it doesn't influence my ads and stuff that <laughs> comes up. Um, but, I mean, I maybe my cynical head took over. I don't know. Uh, I think it seemed to be too exciting for me personally. Uh, but it does take quite a lot, to be honest. Um, Based on UFO stuff, the anonymous sources stuff do I have a problem with Toby or no? I mean, these guys have all been vetted according to to the report, and we know these guys can't kind of break NDAs or do risk kind of uh, possible like criminal charges as well as the jobs and stuff. So yeah, totally fine with anonymous sources. It's just part and parcel of this type of stuff when you're talking about military and intelligence and stuff. It's just part of it uh, for me. It's the the sources, it's more that the this is kind of what the sources have been told rather than the sources are actually involved in it. So again, it's that other kind of step where like similar to Grosh, where it is it's secondhand information being passed again. It's not the these sources aren't involved in it. It's what they've been told. So I guess it's like I say it's a waiting game. Uh, not a chance to read it properly or see sort of any reactions on social media or anything yet properly. Uh, to kind of digest it a bit more. But that's my kind of initial cynical head which always seems to take over uh in these in these things for some reason ain't nothing wrong with a bit of healthy healthy cynicism ash i think um you know i think uh you, you know you're on the side of, of wanting to know more about about ufos and you just tread a bit a bit more on the cautious side which there's there's nothing wrong with that mate um, yeah, Ashy's back. Ashy's back. You're back <laughs> Ash. you've arrived mate be, be cautious, we've missed yeah. you we've missed you <laughs> Yeah, but I mean, I, I don't think there's um, there's too much more to add on it. Really, it's a it's a developing sort of you know situation. Mm-hmm. This could well be the first sort of step, and if indeed what's outlined in the article is is the case, it's very likely that we will hear more about it. You know, um, and as I say, I think the more the the pushback from the the anti disclosure kind of politicians in the states. You know, the more that happens and the more obvious it gets, I would suggest probably more folks with direct involvement will be prompted to, you know, to actually come forward with their own stories and perhaps we'll see more uh, first-hand kind of like witnesses as well. Because I think that's what we all want really, isn't it? Like we want somebody to come forward and say, ideally um, put the name forward as well. It's a big ask, this, but but I think we would, what we would all like really is for somebody who actually worked on, you know, a, a, the bodies or, or a craft or at least, you know, is is able somehow to actually go into specific details from a first-hand perspective mm-hmm. of, of what they've seen. Um, but I think, you know, at this point, we're pretty bloody close to that, aren't we? You know what I mean? It's we, We're getting, uh, we're edging closer and closer to that and we'll we'll see how it all plays out. But um, I think, yeah, Any anyone got anything else to add before we, we wrap it up? I, I've got one final thing. Uh, I want you to imagine now that somebody you've, like you said, somebody comes forward, a big whistleblower, said, I've had enough of this, spills the beans, they get charged and Danny Sheehan, stands up to defend him. And I want everybody to think about what his defence would be and whether he'd be successful. There's an interesting thought for everybody to leave the show with. Well, there we go. 
story time with Dave, <laughs> just to finish off. <laughs> yeah, more of that next month. Yeah. Well, well, yeah. I mean, actually, thinking about it, next month's actually going to be uh, the sort of like end of year festive roundtable, I think, isn't it? Unless I've got my dates yeah, wrong. That, yeah, that is, is right. We did it last time, 27 for 28, something like that. It was really yeah. good. It's all kicking up. Yeah, Ash, Ash can have his uh, his, his little uh, party popper yeah, type thing right. that he had like last time. And Oh, was that for the, the anniversary? I can't remember. Um, but yeah, we'll, we'll definitely be doing that, a nice uh, a nice festive kind of like round table. And uh, we could, perhaps we could do like a little mini award ceremony for the bombshell of the year. Um, I think it's probably going to be Grush, isn't it, realistically, the big sort of like the main, you oh, know, it's thing. It's not fun now, is it, Frank? It's <laughs> <laughs> spoiled it now. Hey, well, we, in, we never know. There might be another one coming yet. We'll see what happens yeah, in December. Right. Right. Yeah, yeah, that's Who right. Knows? You might even have to eat a mushroom on the uh, 29th. Yeah. Well, I, I think I'll be all right. I think I'm safe from Old that. Oh, Joe, you'll be there. Christmas hat on. I'll, just for you, Frank. Yeah, maybe, maybe that'll be it. The King's, the King's speech on Christmas yeah. Day. Maybe King Charles yeah. will be the one to drop the bombshell. Eh? We'll <laughs> see. <laughs> Can't see it somehow, but you never know. Um, but yeah, well, uh, I think we'll we'll leave it there for now. Pleasure as always, and um, uh, I look forward to seeing what we've got to discuss uh, next month. A lot can happen in a month, especially at the moment. So, who knows? We'll see. Yeah. Eh? All right, cheers, everybody. Been a pleasure. Yeah, yeah thanks, Frank. Really enjoyed it. Great, great to be on with Ash as well. Cheers. Yeah, good to have you back, Ash. Nice one. Right. See you next time. You were full round table. The UFO thinker and pursuit of the paranormal podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>